everybody. Welcome to Camel City Chat. I'm John McPherson, and I'm here with my guest who has known me for a couple years and I hope does not pull out any stories. B, Tom Lawson Jr. Yes. Yes. Correct. So, Correct. And uh, Tom and I have known each other since the 80s. So I started at Appalachian in 86. So I met you in late 86, I guess. That's correct. When you uh, were a freshman. When I was a freshman. Um, and you a were... effervescent yes. freshman, I might uh, add. Full of energy. Yes. Full of energy. You yes. were full of it. Then. Yes. Full Still of it. are, by yes. the way. Thank you. Thank you. So, Tom, uh, welcome to Camel Sea Chat. We're going to do the, the usual stuff and then get into some stuff because um, you, of course, are the person that introduced me to Ronald McDonald House. And, of course, we had Chuck on the show last week. Um, but yes. you're also a person that uh, um, I have a, a, a deep amount of respect for you. Um, not only believe in, in giving back and contributing, you've, uh, I mean, you are just a volunteer for everything and, and, and so love community. I, I do appreciate the fronting the product there of the 3333, three, three. Um, you know, three national champions, 33,300, I mean, 3,300 feet above sea level. I mean, Correct. You know, great school. Let's I'm, go I'm not going to ask you where you go, but yep. you're going to tell me anyway. Yep. Yeah. So where are you from and how long have you been in Winston-Salem? Well, John, I am actually from a place that no longer exists anymore. I was born in a town called Leakesville, which okay. in 1968 consolidated with Spray and Draper to form a town that is now known as Eden. So I was born in Rockingham County, okay. about 10 miles north, uh, from the Virginia line, right. and uh, I grew up in Eden. And I've lived in Winston-Salem with my wife, Megan, for it to be 26 years this December. Okay, so I'm 68, so you're, I mean, I, I was born in 68, so you're born what, 60 what? 60, I'm a 1960 model. All right, so eight years old, your town doesn't exist anymore. That's gotta be weird. It is weird, you know, the, um, the joke in at least our hometown was any area whose initials were LSD in the 60s had to change their name. And there happened to be a surveyor named William Byrd an Englishman who came through our area in the 1700s. Right. There were two rivers that converged in this area, the Smith and the Dan, and Bird said, surely this must be the land of Eden. Right. So when the three little towns consolidated in 1968, it was renamed Eden. That's pretty cool. It's a great place to be from. I love yeah. growing up there. Yeah, and, and there's some stories about actually in college about some people coming and talking to you and different things that because uh, I'd, I'd, I'd shouted you out uh, um, with Chuck about uh, a new award that you just got, which, of course, you could care less about awards, but you can't believe that you got it, so we'll talk about that. Um, but uh, And Megan, of course, everyone pronounces her name correctly, always. <laughs> she has got the word. I've been married to uh, Megan Carrier Lawson for just over 35 years. Right. And Megan is such a unique name, everybody calls her Megan. Mm -hmm. And she's gotten to the point um, that she doesn't correct anybody anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you're from Eden. You've been in Winston-Salem a bunch of years. Now, when you go out with Megan, uh -huh. what's your favorite place to eat? Gosh, that's hard, uh, that's hard to answer because I don't want to offend anybody. And plus, there's so many great places in town. I'd give you three quick answers. We love our neighborhood restaurant, uh, River Birch. Okay. 
Uh, Eddie and Eddie Shapira, who runs it, who's an Appalachian guy, fantastic. We love the going there. It's our cheers, so right. to speak. If we're going out for a nicer meal, my favorite, I'm not sure Megan might agree, is Moselle's. Yep. And if I'm going for breakfast, I'm going to go by Duke's, uh, which is my favorite go-to. Yeah, Duke's is awesome. Yeah, so you're over in the Sherwood Forest area. Correct. Um, and uh, so with being out in Clemens, you know, Duke's is not that hard of a hit. I also will hit the Liberty sometimes in the morning yes. coming in because it's not that far. But uh, no, the mayor's answer was there's so many wonderful restaurants I can't name. So we came up with a new question. But the backup is where's the last place you went out to dinner? And then it's like, uh, and, but, um, and, and by the way, full disclosure, I think Megan would say Olive Tree. She loves going there to have lunch after church on Sunday. So you know, I went to McGinnis, and Sister Dennis is painted on the wall in Olive Tree. I always wonder who that. Was. Okay, so that that's Sister Dennis, and uh, she. Oh, God, I, I don't know. I mean, she must have been, when I got to McGinnis, she was probably in her 70s or 80s. I mean, she's yeah. just great lady, just <laughs> tiny lady. And so, the sweetest I understand person tiny. In the world. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's not tiny, it's vertically challenged. Um, so, um, what about, uh, what are your favorite things to do around here? Gosh, uh, we really enjoy going downtown. Okay. Uh, there's so much to see and do. And we're uh, going to touch on that, because did you ever think you'd say that? No. Yeah. I, I, quite frankly, 26 years later, almost 26 years later, I'm stunned by it. We yeah. even have considered moving downtown, but right. we love downtown in general. Uh, we really have gotten into hiking okay. during COVID, uh, and uh, there's so many trails all over, not only in Forsyth County, but outside the county nearby. Love doing that. Uh, and quite frankly, I'm a college sports nut. I love really? watching college sports. Do you have a favorite team? Uh, because I went to Appalachia and I worked there, our kids were born in Boone, I met my wife there. Yeah. Appalachian's kind of our favorite. Yeah, no, it's... I know, I know. You saw that too. I know. No, I, uh, I, it's interesting as, as, as our friends' kids are getting ready to go college age and they're saying, where do you think about going? I talked to... Uh, a buddy of mine's uh, daughter two days ago, and she's like, well, you know, I've, I'm looking at State, I'm looking at Carolina, I'm looking at Virginia, I'm looking at um, LSU, I'm looking at Appalachia, and I'm like, oh, really? Well, you know where I'm going to tell you to go. Um, but <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, well, but the thing about Appalachian is that a lot of people don't realize is, you know, when, when we were there, it was like, oh, there's, you know, tree huggers or whatever. I mean, there's just diversity is Appalachian. When I was at Appalachian, there wasn't, I mean, you just went to school with people. It wasn't like that there was, uh, a, uh, you know, uh, a group here, a group here, a group here. I mean, it was just, everybody was there, and we had a great time, and you were, you know, you weren't stranded in Boone because there was so much stuff to do, but I'm, I'm embarrassed now because, you know, we have a place up there now, and my wife's like, would you do this when you are in college? No, I didn't do that when I was in college. <laughs> I mean, my, you know, I, I, I went to Holly's a couple times over in, you know, uh, blowing rock, and you drive by now, it's like, oh, yeah, I, you know, but I didn't do the hiking thing or stuff like that. We went on a phenomenal hike. I have to look it up and tell you what it is, but um, I think it was Roan Mountain over in, is it Tennessee that we yeah. went into? And have you done that hike? Yes, we have. All right, so you park there at, like, what, a Car Carver's, Carver's Gap. Gap, right. And then you then you can go either way. Oh, my uh, god! It is magnificent. So we did Carver's is. Gap. We went across the street. You know, you got to take the picture of the thing with the North Carolina yeah. sign in the background. You hike up the hill, and you're up on top of that. And then you can keep on going to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. So, 
you know, I, I'm like, well, this is really pretty. Let's go home now. And yeah, it's, it's easy to get worn out. Yeah. And the Appalachian Trail, uh, the AT, is close to us. And then there's this wonderful trail system that runs literally from the Tennessee line to the Outer Banks. Right, the Mountains to Sea mountains Trail. Have you sea. been doing that? We have been doing Mountains to Sea. We discovered it in the last couple of years. We've now are financial supporters of it. Okay. We really believe in it. And I would encourage anybody to take a look at Mountains to Sea Trail for great little hikes all over our state. So if you go um, in Great Outdoors or, or, or over in Greensboro, you know, at REI, they've got some Mountain to Sea books, but you can also just go on their website and make a contribution. I've been looking at it. We have our uh, state realtor convention in Cherokee this year. Perfect. So it's like, do we want to run up and like start, you know, because what a... You know, Hank Perkins, who you know, mm -hmm. my fraternity brother, who was used to be town manager of Louisville, who's now down um, at Lake Lure, um, he's doing the Appalachian Trail. And he's, you know, he's got a buddy, they go, park the car here, drive and whatever. And I mean, they're, they're getting down to the end. Um, but they've been working on it 10 or 15 years. I don't see myself ever hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. But the mountain of sea is achievable. It is achievable, all skill levels. Right. Uh, when you go to the website, you can actually look for specific trails. Uh, it will show you the topography so you know whether you start at the uphill and go downhill or whether it's going to be steep or not. Uh, and again, I would just so encourage it. It is literally right uh, beside us. Right. And you can be on a mountains to sea trail through Pilot Mountain at Hanging Rock, Guilford County, or anywhere in the western mountains. Cool. Yeah. And that and it is fun, and you are getting out and stuff like that. Um, one thing that we have not talked about, um, I know you love Megan, but you do have two wonderful kids. Correct. Um, and that's how I met you, um, is because when was, when was Will born? What year? Our oldest son, uh, Will, who was born in 1991, uh, was a little impatient and decided to come four weeks early. We were living in Boone at the time, and uh, he was having some respiratory challenges. And the helicopter from Brenner Children's Hospital flew up to Watauga County and got him, right. flew him back, and he actually spent time at Brenner Children's Hospital where a host of doctors took care of him. And so when was he born in 91? His birth date is November 14, 1991. Okay, so I graduated in May of 91 and then I would have seen you probably at an event and you know when you meet Tom or when you meet Megan they are the most loving kind people it's always hey how are you the first question you ask me is hey John how are you and then before I even get an answer out all you ask is how's your dad doing um, and of course now it's how's Laura and my wife yeah. but I remember seeing you and I saw a different Tom I mean you were concerned um, and uh, I think I'd come back for maybe a fraternity thing, and you were still involved in different stuff with your fraternity. And you started to tell me a story about how, you know, I'm like, you know, is there anything you can do or, you know, whatever? And, um, and, and you're like, well, you know, honestly, uh, we've got this great place. And you have been involved with them since 1991. Yeah. And, you know, we just talked to Chuck about it, but please share with how much... That changed you and your wife's life. Yeah, uh, that night that Will flew down here, I drove down. Megan was not able to come until the next day. And I actually stayed at a hotel over by the hospital. And when I came into the Brenner NICU unit, 
uh, and gosh, we are three iterations beyond the NICU unit that mm -hmm. Will was in. It's phenomenal what they do at Brenner. Um, they said, you need to stay at, uh, you need a place to stay, you need to go to Ronald McDonald House. And quite honestly, I thought that Ronald McDonald House was only for people that literally couldn't afford to be anywhere else. And as I walked across the street and they warmly greeted me and they said, you can stay here as many nights as you need. It's $5 a night. Give as you're able. Well, you know, uh, they've raised it to 10 now. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. And that has led to a 31-year love affair with Ronald McDonald House. And Megan's been involved, chaired the Luminary Campaign. I've been on the board, uh, been involved in the capital campaign for the last addition uh, they did. It's just truly one of the most important charitable organizations in our city, and I would also add one of the best run. And, you know, it's really funny, and I, I actually did not say this to Chuck. I forgot to. We we knew each other from Smart Start, and someone that we knew has, has actually passed away, a younger lady um, that was on uh, involved with Smart Start, and I'm just so shocked she got COVID. Um, and uh, it was just, it was something I didn't have a chance to talk to him about that, but um, you know me, I have ADD, but I'm getting to my point, and that is, is Chuck and Mindy, are they not like a perfect combination? They're unbelievable, and, and quite frankly, um, Chuck replaced a legend in Anita Ogburn. I, I mean, it was who like... Ran, who, as yeah. you know, ran Ronald McDonald for a long time, the most organized, um, efficient nonprofit executive I've ever had the chance to work with. And Chuck Kraft has been has now stepped in, and things haven't missed a beat. Mindy's perfect in her role, generous, thankful, encouraging in her own way. They're a perfect team. And and I will say, and and I will make sure we're we're good on this. But I will say this about Mindy. I don't get the same feeling that I get from other organizations that it's like, hey, would you you know invest or whatever and then you invest in it and then a week later you get a mail and asking for more money or stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Now I know that if I see Mindy in public, she is gonna shake me down. You know? <laughs> but it's not always the same shakedown. It's like, you know, hey John, uh, will you do our um, um, breakfast or whatever? And then when you get around, it's like, hey, I'm writing a check right now, okay? So I saw her, la I saw her yeah. when I did the show last week, and I said, oh, by the way, I'll, I'll be glad to do the character breakfast. They've asked me to emcee it a couple years. Obviously, they can't get anybody. Yeah. Um, but, well, um, you're the closest thing to a cartoon character they it, can th Thank get. you. Thank you. That's exactly Which it. Which is nice. And then, um, but then it's like, I, I owe you a check. I know that. I know that. Because yeah. what I started doing um, with Angela and Wendy when we started MKT was I, we started doing a, we're going to give an amount of money for every closing we do. Now since then they've left and, and, and I changed it to this amount. I mean it's it's insignificant comparatively. It's not even a full night's room, but it is a contribution and it adds up. And um, you know, it was, honestly, I think it's $30, but I think that's what it used to be when I started for a room for the night. Now they're telling me it's like 60 or $80. Yeah. And, um, but it's, uh, it, it's the responses that I've gotten back have been crazy. You know, I had a lady that had uh, 12 or 13 kids. Her, her, one of her daughters who I've, it's, it's actually Lisa Smith who married Andy Barry. Yep. You remember Andy Barry? Yep. Um, uh, and uh, it's her mom's family was like, oh my gosh, we can't believe you did that. Then I had uh, a buddy of mine, um, 
uh, Chris Gunsnauser, his his wife's dad helped start Ronald McDonald with Willard Scott. And then, you, I mean, so it's just it's just a great organization to be involved with. Yeah, and I would say one last thing about Mindy's work, and I've come to appreciate this, not working for a tax-exempt organization. We need the Mindy's of the world for this reason. We get so caught up in doing what we do, raising kids, going to work, caring for aging parents, et cetera, that we forget sometimes about the importance of our sharing our resources with others. And Mindy and her peers remind us to be generous. And I've come to respect that role even more being a volunteer and living in Winston-Salem than I think I probably even realized when I used to be a staff member and doing that work. Completely agree with that. Um, and I think that uh, what we need to do now is, since I've you know monopolized this with Ronald McDonald House, but I know you love it, is let's go back to... So your your mom starts getting visited by some some a young man in your town or something. What is this? Yeah. I want to. So you go to Appalachian. What's your major at? Uh, I was a history major, and uh, unlike most of my fraternity brothers who were business Walker College of Business majors, I loved history. I'd had a fantastic uh, history teacher at Moorhead High School in Eden right. named Bill Carter, and I just enjoyed it, and I really liked my history teacher, and that's where I headed. Okay. All right, so then you go to Appalachian, and um, tell me about, is fraternity one of the best things that ever happened to you in your life? Yeah, and, and I know for many people that it's will listen like, to oh this gosh, and see this, yeah, yeah, you know, will have visions of Animal House and other things that maybe are not so positive. Yeah, you're talking about your friend. I'm just yeah, yeah, but... <laughs> Um, I am, I come from a divorced home and I'm an only child. And when I went to Appalachian, I was fortunate enough to have gotten an invitation in a very roundabout way from a guy that had graduated from Reedsville, our right. rival high school right. guy did that. And I went to a, a, a party that night and I liked the guys, I liked what I thought it stood for and I joined. Quite frankly, I had no idea what I've gotten into. I'm the first person in my family to go to college. No one had been in a fraternal organization. It just was something I didn't know much about. But there seemed to be a sense of family, of a group of men trying to do service together, play intramurals together, which I enjoyed a lot. Certainly there was the social part. But as I came to found, find out, all fraternal organizations in the traditional fraternity and sorority, the letters stand for a profound phrase that typically is related to our faith. They're Jewish organizations that tie back to the Jewish faith, but the fraternities and sororities, like the one you were a member of in college and myself, their Greek letters, in my case, Lambda, Chi, and Alpha, are code for a profound phrase that uh, was a pretty good guide for me then and is now too. And, and interestingly now, so your fraternity I know has um, very Christian roots. Mm -hmm. uh, my fraternity, I don't know if you knew this, is um, uh, Law Books of Old basically. So Delta Chi was a, a, a legal fraternity. Um, the coolest thing I ever did was go As back. As was Lambda Chi. Okay. Started with a bunch of law students. Okay. So I go back to Cornell and all my friends that are 1906 Alpha Phi Alpha, this is 1890 Cornell. Um, so I go back to um, Cornell, see the initiation, and I'm a Mason as well. 
Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, I know what you guys were doing before you were in a fraternity. Yes. So, it, you know, yes. a lot of the rituals are the same. I mean, basically, everything believe, it works back to friendship, your, your, uh, your morality, your, your treating of other people and things like that. But I think the thing that people don't realize about fraternities are is what positions they put you in. Um, I would have never thought that graduating from, from uh, Bishop McGinnis that I'd go and be president of IFC at Appalachian. Yeah. or student court justice or things like that. I mean, you go on to work for the national fraternity, you come back to work at the university, but you know, when Greg came on as a vice chancellor of student affairs, like I was appointed by the chancellor to be on the selection committee. Yeah. That, that wasn't because I was a student walking down the hallway, that was because they saw that we were involved. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, even as a history major, because remember I was communications, which yeah. is e- even easier to get out of. Um, <laughs> I feel like that you will tell me this. You learn more through your fraternity interactions and stuff like that than you ever learned in college. Yeah, I, I, you know, the undergraduate experience at Appalachian was tremendous. Student teaching and taking other classes that really helped me be better and more comfortable in public speaking roles were enormously helpful. But in the out-of-classroom experience, and I'll give you an example. I had a conversation yesterday with a man that I've known for 44 years. And we have done projects together to try to help other people. I've stood in his wedding. He stood in our wedding. Uh, we've laughed and cried together when our families have struggled at times. And that friendship was forged when we joined together in August of 1978. Mm-hmm. And I could tell you tons of stories of that, of friendships and business relationships and support that I've gotten from not only the men that I was in the group with, men that came afterwards, but also men and women from other groups like yourself and others. Uh, it is um, an amazing network but it really changed the trajectory of my life and showed me there might be something bigger for me. And that path of encouragement, uh, I am very appreciative of. And we're going to take a break because we have to hear about that. Because I think that uh, I want you to tell what you thought you were going to do and then kind of where we are now. Okay. okay? So okay. we're going to be right back with more Camel City Chat. Welcome back, everybody, to Camel City Chat. Um, I'm here with my guest, B. Tom Lawson, Jr., Um, There is a reason why I specifically call him B. He does not know that. Um, But I'm getting to the bottom of this. I've known you since 1986. So when did you work for Lambda Chi International? Uh, I graduated from Appalachian in 82. I worked for Lambda Chi 82 to 84. Right. Then I went to grad school from 84 to 85 at Appalachian. Then I worked at North Carolina State University. Then I came back to Appalachian from, and I worked there from 1986 to 1996. Okay, so, and that's, so that's when I met you. Okay, so I know two Tom Lawsons. So whenever I refer to you, I always say B. Tom Lawson um, because then I, you know, everybody knows who I'm talking about. So I'm assuming B is for a first name. Yes, I am named for my dad, Ben Thomas Lawson, and I am Ben Thomas Lawson Jr. Right. Um, I was, I guess the decision was made that I would go by my middle name, Tommy. Tom, 
And if you know me prior to 1982, you know me as Tommy. After 1982, my professional name was Tom. But I, I know what you're talking about. There are three Tom Lawsons in Forsyth County that I'm aware of. Okay. One of them was the mayor of Louisville. Who's the Tom Lawson I know. Correct. Right, yeah. and, and the joke got to be whenever he ran for office, I had friends that grabbed some of his signs and put them in my yard. So I would get calls, you're running for office? And I said, look at the sign. I don't, we don't live in Louisville. I can't run for mayor there. But right. yep. and, and then there's another one who I have not met. So Tom Lawson's married to Edith. Uh, Edith has two sisters. Um, I've worked with them. They're great folks. Um, and uh, they, when they sold their mom's place, Tom has two boys. Uh, one of them works um, is... I believe an assistant manager at Lowe's and is moving up the chain. The other son is a gamer. Really? Yes, a professional gamer. Wow. And so, um, but Tom's great guy. Uh, we were on planning board together when I first started getting yep. into some politics and things. And but it's always, yeah, I'm, I got uh, give uh, Tom Lawson a call. B Tom Lawson, you know, so <laughs> or whatever. Because I've called you throughout the years with yeah. talking about different things. And absolutely, um, uh, you have been involved in many, many organizations. Um, uh, since you've been here, uh, besides your charitable work, when you left Boone, when did you come to Winston to actually work, and what was your first job here? Uh, we moved here the week before Christmas in 1996. Right. Literally the last thing they put on the moving truck was the Christmas tree. Okay. We came down, and we were here a week before Christmas, and then January 2nd, I began working for the Winston-Salem Foundation, who I know many of your listeners and viewers will know uh, as the community foundation here in town. So, and I want to talk about that because I, I, I know that that is something also still near and dear to your heart. Um, and uh, um, I believe the Realtors Association has uh, uh, our charitable fund at that. So what, were you going to be a history teacher? Is that what you wanted to be? No, it's funny when what, I, what, 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 when what? I in, in spring 1982, I had an application in for the Peace Corps, and I had an application in for working for Lambda Chi Alpha. And we got to talk about the, the travel stuff on the other two. Yeah, so, yeah. And, but, okay. and, I, uh, and Lambda Chi Alpha called first, so I went to move to Indianapolis, lived there for two years, and during the academic year, traveled and visited colleges and universities where we had chapters. He was the guy from headquarters that no one wants to yeah, see. Yeah, I tried to be as nice as I could be, yeah. but... The cool thing about it for a guy from small town North Carolina was I visited 101 colleges and universities in 40 states and three Canadian provinces in two years. Completely opened my mind and, and view and thoughts about a lot of things. And interpretation of fraternity is so different at each campus. Correct. Right. Correct. Michigan is going to be different than Appalachian, and UCLA is going to be different than Something Rensselaer. Yeah. yeah, we'll come back. Yeah, we'll yeah, come yeah. back to the Michigan yeah. thing later. It's yeah. the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and my, my, my doctor goes, so you kiss the girl, uh, so you kiss the prom queen. Who cares? I married her. Yeah. You know, that's what he yeah. says. Yeah. And we're still going to talk about it. Um, so you so you travel around, and, and this is actually something that I was going to ask you, so this is a good tie-in here. Um, I know that you love Appalachian sports. I know that you travel a lot with Appalachian sports. Um, you were at the game, correct? Yeah, I, you know, you were at the Michigan game, right? I have been, I have been fortunate enough to be at almost all the major games we've played. So yeah. the national championship games, 
the game in Ann Arbor when we beat Michigan and what is considered maybe to be the all-time upset in college football. It is the greatest. Bowl games, Penn State, LSU, been LSU, a lot of places. evacuating from the hurricane after the game. Correct, yeah. correct. So I guess um, you know, there's, we were driving yesterday and we drove by this church. We were out going out to Hidnight Mine and there's this church called The Rock and Catherine goes, welcome to The Rock. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but so, it's not that far away. Start them early. So what... Uh, yeah, that's my wife though. Yeah. That was even better. Started so, what um, what what has been a place that you've traveled to that you just, I mean, had a great experience? Uh, what, what's what's your best stadium? And we're not we're gonna we know Appalachians answer yeah. to every question, but what's your favorite stadium that you've been to? Uh, and and if Megan listens to this, uh, she'll think this is a loaded answer, but I really mean it. Uh, at Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge is the best place to watch a college football game outside of the Rock in Boone, any place in America. We have been there. We have, yep. When LSU scored in the last minute of a game to beat Auburn 7-6. to six, Oh, my gosh. And the crowd reaction was so enormous that Monday in the geology department, when they came in, they have a seismograph that goes on all the time. Right. And they went, oh my gosh, we had an earthquake last Saturday. What happened? Mm -hmm. And they went back, and when the guy scored the touchdown, it registered as a minor earthquake in Baton Rouge. One of my dad's friends is responsible for one of the poles in the tiger enclosure. Really? So you imagine how much he paid for that. Oh, my goodness. So I Crazy say, people. Yeah, right. So LSU is beautiful. Yep. Um, University of Washington Haven't in been Seattle. There. Magnificent, magnificent stadium. Have you been to Notre Dame? I have not been to Notre Dame. That's it's a good a bucket one. list yep. place for me. I am going to go to Texas A&M uh, this oh, fall. That'll be good. Uh, it's a, it, it's, I, I'm very anxious and interested to go there. I've been to Florida, Virginia Tech. Uh, Penn State was truly a beautiful spot, kind of in a mountainous area of central, south central Pennsylvania. Surprisingly nice fans. Sometimes home fans can be a little brutal. Michigan were some of the nicest people I've ever they met. They were really, really nice. Um, I would add, uh, I have not been here for a stadium. I went there when I was in Appalachian for a class. Um, I would say Tennessee's probably a pretty good stadium. But, you know, both Clemson and South Carolina are great. I mean, williams Bryce, I was there when if it ain't swaying, we ain't playing. Absolutely. They've, yeah, they've made some changes. Our oldest son and daughter-in-law both went to South Carolina, as did her mom and dad. And so we've been in a lot of games in williams Price also. Yeah, it's, it's a nice stadium. All right, so traveling for the fraternity, obviously a great experience, opened a bunch of eyes, and then you come back, and, and what happened to get us to, um, you know, Appalachian, we get down here, what, what do you do in your job for the foundation? And more importantly, what is the Winston-Salem Foundation for people that don't know? Yeah, um, Gosh, the Winston-Salem Foundation is one of the best assets this community has. It is a community foundation which is basically a public charity that does a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. It holds charitable funds like your Realtors Fund. It provides donor advice fund support for individuals and families that want to use it. It runs a competitive student aid program, so it provides grants for kids to go to college and loans also. And it is a competitive grant maker, meaning charities can come to the foundation on their uh, annual schedule and apply for grants and get grant support. 
Uh, at year end last year, our total assets were somewhere between seven and eight hundred million dollars. It's been here since 1919, and I worked for it for five years. But the most humbling part is I actually got asked to serve in January on the board of the Winston-Salem Foundation. Right. So now I've come full circle from having served as a staff member to serving as a board. And I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, just Google WSFoundation.org and take a look at all the things it can do and just consider what your role might be in this community. So if you're telling me 1919, I'm going to take a guess there were probably two families that started the seed money for that. Yep. Reynolds and Haynes, probably. All right. And then now, obviously, the, you know, the McPhersons don't have that kind of money. But, I mean, you can start whatever. But so if, if I wanted to, um, uh, like, people have foundations and you can make contributions to their foundations or things like that. But, I mean, there is... I'm passing away and I'm leaving $50 million to the Winston-Salem Foundation, let's say. Um, and then you can direct kind of what you want to do. Yeah, here, no? Here's the beauty of it. Let's say that your passion is helping young people go to college. Right. You literally could make a gift during lifetime or at death or a combination. You could start it in lifetime and add to it in your estate to build a fund that would, a distribution would be made annually to help a young person go to college. That's an example. You could leave a fund behind and say to the Winston-Salem Foundation board and staff, I don't know what Winston-Salem is going to look discretion. like 25 years from now. Right. I'm going to give you discretion to apply a distribution annually to the needs of our community. And that's a real priority for the foundation right now is to build out some discretionary money because the world has changed so quickly and particularly over the history of the Winston-Salem Foundation. But the beauty of the community foundation model, which we have here through our own Winston-Salem Foundation, is literally everyone can be a philanthropist. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. Our Sunday school class has had a donor advice fund at the Winston-Salem Foundation, where we literally took up the collection, deposited it, it was held, and at future points we'd made distributions to charities that were important to us. That's so interesting. There's a, it's a big tent. Uh, where a lot of people can be philanthropists. So um, my wife has a dream of a, of a foundation, and um, uh, you know she has something that she's always thought about. And so are you telling me that we could say, all right, so we're going to give $1,000 a year for a period of time until we grow the principal up, and then we can start to say, hey, do this with that or whatever? Yeah, you know, when you think about setting money aside mm -hmm. for future giving, a lot of people will just generically use the phrase foundation. And a foundation is a structure that's available but can be cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a, another structure you might consider called a donor advice fund. Mm -hmm. You take that $1,000, you set it aside, you can let it grow, you can add to it, and you can make distributions when you choose. So you literally could have a donor advice fund at the Winston-Salem Foundation with a gift of $1,000. Okay. And then there are ones clearly that are in the millions, but um, my wife and I, for example, have used a donor advice fund personally for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. and we set money aside, so we use it to manage our annual giving, but our goal is to give it to Will and Charlie when we pass away, so they'll have a resource to supplement what they give personally. Right, and um, so I can, 
go, you know, this year I'm going to get $5,000 for charity. I can send it to a donor advised fund, and then I can say, give Ronald McDonald House this, give Appalachian this, give that. And so then that's, and, but then you're growing across the whole principle rather than correct. Yeah. And you and you do it on de, on you do it December thirty first. And the key, yeah, yeah, and you can you right. literally can take a check over on that day. Right. Um, the key thing to think about is define what generosity means to you this year. Take a look at your income, your expenses, your commitments, and let's just say that you've decided, okay, we've been giving four percent of our pre tax income. We'd like to move that to five. Whatever right. that number is, doesn't really matter. Right then you would take that amount of money and you would give it to the donor advice fund. You receive a charitable income tax deduction because the foundation's a public charity. Right. You now have a pool of assets that you decide when and how you distribute the money. Now there's some nuance around what the IRS allows you to support and what you can't support, but in general, that's the way the concept works. Okay, interesting. That's, I mean, and that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you here is because of your involvement. Um, I think that uh, as we move into the next segment here in a minute, um, I want to touch on what you're doing now, but then I want to come back and I want to touch on uh, how people should get involved and identify charities and things like yeah. that because I think that's really big that, you, that you're such an expert on and then also talk about some more Winston-Salem stuff. So you work for, you, you went private. You know? Yeah, as uh, as my tax exempt friends say, I went to the dark side right? yeah. 20 years ago. And you got to remember, I've never worked to this point for a for-profit entity. Right. And then I go work with one of the large, largest corporations in the world. So if you're going to make a change, just go big, right? Yeah, so you're in wealth management at a bank, uh -huh. right? And, and basically what, you know, I did pretty good there, didn't I? So what nice. what can you what can you tell us about what you do now? Because obviously there's, you know, I'm not putting your number at the bottom of yeah. the screen. I'm not sure. doing that. I mean, sure. you know, we're not marketing you as that. But yeah. you basically help. Do you help other corporations do what? Yeah, John, I've got uh, I think the coolest gig in a company that has a lot of people that work for it. My job primarily is to help financial advisors and to help their clients give more effectively and efficiently. Literally to ask the charitable question. Mm -hmm. So if you were our client, the financial advisor would say to you, now John, we've talked about your portfolio, your documents are set up in case something happens to you, God forbid, but we've not talked about your charitable giving. And how might we be able to help you give more effectively? And you might go, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Well, for example, it's more effective to give away publicly traded stock that you've held for more than a year than it is to give away cash. It's, you, there is a possibility if you're a business owner formed in LLC form, you could give away a portion of your company before you sold it. And those charitable strategies, quite frankly, John, most people just aren't aware of. So, so my encouragement is to people that are primarily in the money management business to simply put the word philanthropy on the agenda and to say to their client, beyond helping you manage assets, I want to help you figure out how you can give more effectively. All right, so I'm going to frank the tank here and ask you a question from old okay. school when you went up okay. against Carvel. 
So basically, I have a stock. Um, I'm looking around the room. Uh, let's Disney, okay? Okay. So I got a basis of 25 bucks in Disney. It's a value at 100 100 bucks a share now. When I pass, when I if I go to sell it, I've got a basis of 25. So I'm paying 75 dollars capital gains. capital gains. I get the, uh, you know, I basically, you know, I'm going to pay taxes on 75 bucks. So I really only made like 30 bucks besides my basis or something like that. So what you're telling me is, is I can then say to Ronald McDonald House. Here's a share of Disney, and I get credit for the hundred dollars, and I deduct the whole hundred dollars. Or do I? I'm I'm clearly a great teacher okay. because you're very close. So I here's the general. Oh, hold on, wait, I got to do that. Here's the general <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. You bought Disney at twenty five dollars right. a share. You have held it for three hundred and sixty six days or longer. At that point, it's now categorized as long term capital gain property. If, if the price of the shares were $100 a share, you're right. If you sell it, after you've held it for more than that, you're going to pay long-term capital gains on the gain, the 25 to 100 If you instead give that stock to a public charity, Ronald McDonald House, the Winston-Salem Foundation, your donor advised fund, Appalachian State University Foundation, etc., you get the fair market value deduction $100, and you can deduct up to 30% of your adjusted gross income annually. So, in general, the best asset to give away during lifetime, if you're able to, is publicly traded stock held for more than a year in a taxable investment account for those reasons. There's another one that you need to say, too. Re oh, well, real estate, and, and as, you, as you know, in, in, in all seriousness, real estate has appreciated so much, commercial, residential, developed, undeveloped. You can actually, if you think about it, real estate is just a long-term capital gain asset. Mm -hmm. If you've held it for more than a year and it has no debt on it, which is critical, debt on it messes up the deductibility and the transaction very often, you can transfer that with appropriate due diligence to a public charity. Okay, cool. So I, I'm learning here. Nice. All right, we're going to take a break. Okay. We'll be right back and finish up with Tom Lawson. That's B, Tom Lawson. And uh, we're going to hear about how to get involved in charities and how you pick your charities and things like that and, and doing that inner um, what's my why type of stuff. Yeah. And uh, I think that'll be a good lesson for all of us, okay? Okay. Right. Sounds great. We'll be right Thank back. Thank you. Welcome back to Camel City Chat. I'm here with B. Tom Lawson, who um, we have been friends since 1986. Well, I don't know if you really would have considered me a friend. You just considered me a smart-ass uh, freshman or something probably at that point. But That would have been we've, correct. We've grown to friendships over the years. But uh, um, So uh, Megan likes me. I do know that. Yeah, Okay. That's so I mean, that's, that's all that matters. That's um, correct. So we were talking about different things and stuff, and, and you know, what I will say is... is um, the foundation also provides, because I want people to be involved, because no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, and a needy world awaits your imprint. So that is one good thing that yeah. I took away from Apple, I mean, from uh, Bishop McGinnis, yep. come to the top of the stairs near the gym, it was on the door, and I always have remembered that quote. But um, there are many outlets. Um, if I go to church, I can give to my church, and my church does some different things. Um, and I want to come back to that with you specifically, because I know you do some really cool um, mission work and things like that. But... If I'm not uh, in a church, um, I, I dump stuff. You know, I, you, you know, I'm moving my office. I yeah. took a bunch of stuff to Goodwill. Um, there's Green Nest, which was started by some members of our church. Um, and uh, but there's all kinds of charities out there. 
And and you were saying, well, you know, if I'm not a member of a church, but you know, I I want to still give, and I believe what was the term that you use? How do I express my generosity? There it is. So how do I express my generosity? And and not only financially, but I would say physically and helping out. Um, I'm new in town, or I. I'm, I've got to get out of my house from the pandemic. I know it's a long question. If if we were on SmartList, they'd be making fun of me. But um, if it, how do I express my generosity? Because I feel like you're a professional at this. And what I mean by that is you've been involved with so many organizations that you know. So I want to do something, Tom. Tell me what I should do or how I figure out what to do. John, it's a, it's a great question and one that we all face. Uh, and it calls for an honesty with ourselves, sometimes that's really hard, and I include myself in this. Um, and, and what I would say to you is, as you say, I want to help other people. I would think about maybe two or three different key points here. One, generosity clearly includes the transfer of ownership of things you have. Okay. Gifts, charitable gifts gifting kind, clothing, other items that you can transfer, and gosh, whether it's Habitat Restore or food pantries or clothing pantries in our city, there's lots of ways to transfer things you own to recycle them for the good. Goodwill comes to mind also. And then the second thing is your time. What are you willing to allocate from your time? I'll give you an example. On the children's home property on Renolda Road, at the back of the property is a two-plus-acre garden that's been in existence for well over 20 years. It was the dream of a guy named Jim Holmes, who ironically enough was a stockbroker and didn't know anything about growing anything. But he had a dream to try to feed hungry people in our community. And every growing season from the spring through the, the early fall, People are out there every day, primarily though on Wednesday nights after work and Saturday mornings, tending the garden. Pulling weeds. Harvesting, pulling weeds, storing things, etc. And by the way, you don't have to know anything about gardening to go out there. It's great to be outside. It's community. It's community. Right. You, you see people and the people come from all over. But to do that, what do you got to do, John? You got to leave work. You got to have your dirty clothes on. You got to go over to the garden. So you have to be willing to give up your most precious asset, even beyond your financial assets, your time. And, and those two things, generosity in terms of actually transferring ownership of something you own and the giving of your time, you have to sit back and say, what am I really willing to do? Okay. And I'll give you an example. Um, Samaritan Ministries, which is one of the four homeless shelters in our community, uh, during winter, um, COVID outbreak hit their staff, hit the, resi the residents of, the, of Samaritan, the guests, and all of a sudden uh, a decision was made in the city to set up an isolation hotel out University Parkway out by 52. Well, there were as many as 70 people out there to begin with and the numbers diminished over the weeks as people were able to leave. But every day, Samaritan needed somebody to drive over to the back at noon, pick up the lunches for those people at the isolation hotel, drive them over. Time. 
a car, having the ability to have something big enough to put these lunches in. And as I say this, the point I'd, I hope that everybody hears is everybody can make an impact in the world. You don't have to have a billion dollars. You don't have to sit on the board of an organization. Those things are nice and make a difference, but everybody can give their time. Or you can allocate a portion of your budget. Hey, I know my income this year is going to be X. I'm going to begin this year with the goal of giving away a certain amount of money. Same way we budget for savings or house down payments or other things. Have that charitable budget. And it's interesting, even though we live in a super generous country, tax code that promotes charitable giving, literally a million plus tax-exempt organizations. The average American gives away plus or minus tax, pre or post-tax, 2% of their income annually. And I would say to folks, just ponder where you are. So for some folks, you might be starting. For some folks, you might go back and look at your tax return and say, wow, I gave away 4% of my income last year. Might I give away more? And then figure out what good you might do, and most importantly, what's important to you. Interesting. And, you know, um, there are so many places you can get involved. Of course, you, you got to go by and see Tommy Priest and get a coffee before you go back over to the children's home. Uh -huh. um, and, and we have gone out there. Uh, my daughter went to Salem Montessori prior to going to Montessori School, went to Salem. Um, and uh, Michael Hastings' wife, yep. Betty, uh, she goes uh, one night a week, every other week or something, feeds the animals. Yes. Yeah, and yes. so that was something yes. to do. I mean, it's just, but it's, it is amazing. Um, and, and stuff that you don't even know, like Southwest uh, Elementary has a food pantry. Yeah. Um, and connecting people up and things like that. Uh, it's just, there's, there's so many different things. My dad's involved with the Clemens Food Pantry at Clemens um, uh, United Methodist. But it's... You know, I wish that there, and there may be, I wish there was like a central database of, hey, I want to be involved, who needs help, or something like that. Yeah. Um, I would say call the Winston-Salem Foundation. They're at the hub of a lot of things, and they can put you in contact. Certainly, if anybody has any questions, I'm more than willing to help guide folks. Um, John, we live in a hurting world. There are people that are hungry. There are people that are unsure about tomorrow. Uh, we also live in a world that's cautious. We guard our privacy so much more than we ever have for right reasons. But we also live in a world where people now understand in a broader way, and that's why I'm so optimistic about younger generations, is that they have the ability and the reason and the drive to try to help others. And I hope they will do in similar ways to their parents and grandparents but I know they're going to improve upon what we've done, too. It, it is interesting to me that we say, you know, oh, the, once the millennials are in charge, they're... But they said the same thing about us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. For sure. we, we, we follow up. I mean, the greatest generation is, is, is going, and, uh, you know, what, Dad turns 98 today that we're filming. Um, and, Happy uh, birthday, by the way. Yeah, it's, we're, we're calling him after this. Um, but uh, he... Uh, you know, but that generation is going, and we've got boomers, and I mean, it's they're going to do fine. Um, they may even I fully save believe things. that. Yeah, they may I even fully save believe things. that. Yeah. But um, so, getting involved is just taking that step and giving your time. Um, 
Now, you, we, we were talking about something, and, and, and we, were, we were talking about an event coming up, and you were saying that uh, uh, someone's going to be there, and, and you said, oh, by the way, she, so you, you travel some for mission work, or, or tell me a little bit about that. And where, I know you're a faithful man, okay, yes. yeah. um, uh, in the sense of, uh, um, uh, Megan would case. So I know you're a faithful man, there, yeah. but I'm talking about, but no, I know, I know you have a very strong faith. Um, but what's, what, you know, tell me a little bit about that and how that's guided you through your life. Well, uh, I give most of the credit to everything in my life before I met Megan to my mom. And my mom uh, would put on that ugly clip-on tie and made sure I went to church every Sunday. And uh, that planted a seed in me uh, that I didn't know would, uh, would come to, to bloom when I was in my late 30s. Uh, but she, she was the one that was the guide. Mm -hmm. She took me there. She gave me the collection, little collection box that you would get your offering cards out of. And then when Megan and I met and got married, uh, we decided to join Boone United Methodist. Ken Peacock, who's the former chancellor at Appalachian, was our Sunday school teacher, as was John Thomas, the former chancellor. Two great guys. And two tremendous human beings. And... Uh, and that began to form our faith and what I found and when we moved here we actually continue to worship at a Methodist church. We go to Centenary United Methodist where I've taught Sunday school for a long time. A friend of mine just retired from there. Really? And, uh, and we, um, with that we've done a lot of mission stuff and one of the things I wanted to share is we've actually gone to Haiti. Right. Uh, I've been to Haiti seven times uh, for medical mission stuff, believe it or not, I can do some pharmacy work and put together prescriptions that wow. Tom Cannon or Keith Van Zandt or Van Williamson or David Rainey wrote, uh, who are all tremendous physicians and human beings. Uh, but one of the cool things we did through my Appalachian connection is we built basketball courts at the schools there and provided shorts and t-shirts and socks and shoes and basketballs. These folks have nothing right. uh, in terms of what we would think about as PE equipment. And Angel Elderkin, who's the women's basketball coach at Appalachian, uh, has gone down there with a couple of her coaches over the years and uh, run clinics. And it's just been tremendous. It's opened my eyes to a lot of things. It's made me appreciate what we have here in a much broader, deeper way and to understand the needs that we have here by looking at what it's like in a super impoverished third world country. And, and then to think, and this is where it gets a little bit emotional, with Angel. Angel has her own struggles. Angel yeah. is a... She's a cancer survivor. Cancer survivor, yeah. and she's still taking time to go to Haiti to take care of these kids. Yeah, it's, you know, Angel actually won the Pat Summit Courageous Award which is given to through women's basketball coaches mm -hmm. in honor of Pat Summit because of her fight with cancer. Uh, and Angel actually coached a year while she was going through chemo treatments down uh, in the Triangle area. She's now been determined to be cancer-free, which is tremendous. But I just can't say enough about her, her enthusiasm, her commitment to Haiti and the people there. Unfortunately, things have been really bad the last few years politically, and it's not safe to go right now. Mm -hmm. But we're hoping as soon as we're told we can return, we'll be back. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's let's get to you know 
The worst question I'm going to ask you today is, what do you want to be remembered for? And now that could be that you retire from where you work or, you know, you, you and your wife go up to Boone and live or whatever. But what do you want to be remembered for um, when I say B. Tom Lawson? What do you want people to, besides being a fanatic for Appalachian, what are the some yeah, other things? the zealot, right. Um, you know, my thought on that's pretty simple. I just want to be known as Geneva's son, Megan's husband, Will and Charlie's dad, and Molly's father-in-law. Mm -hmm. Much beyond that, the rest of it's gravy. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking of gravy, uh, your national fraternity just honored you for the amount of yeah. commitment that you have had over the years. You still can't believe that they did that to you. Um, but uh, yeah, Jimmy Barnes, I, yeah. who's an Appalachian trustee and fraternity brother. That, that, that we would have voted for you to get that. Well, um, so, yeah. he was very kind to nominate me, and I got what is called the Order of Merit, mm -hmm. which is just basically the Lifetime Service Award. And I'm so grateful and really humbled by it, and I was able to go to Scottsdale for the award ceremony. And I found out there are 390 men out of about 200,000 initiates that have gotten it. And um, I really am honored by it. It was a very nice thing for Jimmy to do. Well, you deserved it. Okay. Um, you, you were awesome with us. You know, I mean, you were uh, involved uh, with all the fraternities in a sense too, helping Dino and, and them out. And I mean, you just, you were, uh, whether you believe it or not, I think that you were a mentor to a lot of young men. So, I, yeah. I, and I, I appreciate that. Um, what I will it close, and because we've talked about this a couple times, even you know, often on camera, um, what the heck happened to Winston-Salem? I mean, is this just not the craziest thing? And what do you want to happen? I, uh, wow, I, two, two thoughts there. One, I'm so thankful for the um, elected political leadership the corporate leadership and the, the leadership of the citizens to have the vision to do here what's happened. Uh, it's truly amazing. Um, and I'm thankful because it takes a lot of people to make that happen. Mm -hmm. As I think about the future, I'd really hope we can find a Winston-Salem that's good for everyone. Um, I so enjoy going downtown. We went down and listened to Camel City Yacht Club, okay. which is a cool band, by right. the way, 70s band, on Trade Street the other night. And as I was standing there and I saw the group of people there, I realized this can be a place that's good for everyone. And that's my vision is that I hope we can build a Winston-Salem where everyone would say the same thing that I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it is quite interesting how far this city has come but as far as we've come, we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah we do. I can't thank you enough for doing this. Thanks, John. Yeah, I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. You're, you're an awesome guy, and, um, you know, you just, uh, you've done a lot for our city. And um, so uh, with that, the, uh, I always say thanks to Jeff Smith. Of course, you know Jeff, yep. Smitty's Notes. Smitty. Smitty is our sponsor of the show in the sense of we send him the information, he puts it on his stuff, and we, we give him a plug and tell people to make sure to check out Smitty's Notes. Celebrating 25 years this year. That's another it crazy thing. Amazing. So uh, with that, we will be back next week with more Camel City Chat. My guest today was B. Tom Lawson, Jr. And uh, we appreciate you, and have a great week.